Masechet Sukkah, Da 53, we're going to be discussing the Mishnah that has all the details of Simchat Beta Shoeva, and we'll go into lots of description of all the acrobatics and uh, gym, gymnastic tricks that the rabbis used to do. So it's a lot of fun. So, so we, we read, uh, because of the tall towers with the lanterns on top that had so much oil, there was not any, a courtyard in Jerusalem that wasn't illuminated from those lights from the Beit HaMikdash. Uh, so for a further description, Tana, Isha ita chitim shel that a woman could sort wheat and take you know, the good wheat from any impurities that fell into it, you know, like checking the, the rice. Uh, and so that, that requires a lot of light. You have to see exactly what is that? Is that a piece of weed or is it uh, something else? And so that's how it wasn't just a little bit light. It was so bright you know, that people could do that at home. Next, chasidim ma'ase, the pious men, the people of good deeds, they would be dancing before, before everyone while they were uh, singing praises. So now we're going to learn some of the uh, words that they said uh, in their songs. Some said, uh, praise, happy is our youth, um, that didn't embarrass our old age. In other words, even when we were young, we were careful for, with the mitzvot and observant. And so we have, you know, they, these are chasidim that they were always, uh, they grew up in a religious household. And so they were always uh, good. And therefore, they're not embarrassed about their past. Other people, when they grew up, they, uh, you know, they were wise guys and they weren't, uh, they weren't always doing the right thing, but then they made Teshuvah later in life. So they sing, uh, they, they sing lyrics that said, uh, happy is our old age that atones for our sins. So recognizing once upon a time, what could we do? But at least now we're better. And they agreed on the following lyrics that happy is the person that never sinned, but if you did, then make teshuvah and you can get uh, and you can get atonement. Uh, maybe it was the same song. Maybe it was like one would say one stanza, the other group would say the other stanza, and then they would join together uh, with that stanza to show, you know, we're all, uh, whatever our backgrounds are, everyone can reach the same level. Tanya. So Hillel, he lived during the time of the Beit HaMikdash, in the early first century. And when he would come to dance, sing and dance in Simhat Beit he would say, sing the following. If I'm here, everyone's here. And if I'm not here, who's here? Okay, so it sounds a little bit egotistical, right? Oh, very good. So, so how do we interpret this? What does he mean? If I'm here, every, everyone's here. I'm the life of the party, right? What is he trying to say? So some interpret it as for he's, he's quoting Hashem. Hashem saying, if I am here in the Bet HaMikdash, then everything's here. But if you act in a way that I don't want to be here, then what do you know? Then, then nobody's here. Then everything is for naught. Uh, so that's a possibility. Or he might be saying, similar to his other statement, um, if I'm here, I have to feel responsible for myself and for others. And if I'm not going to be responsible, then who's going to take care of uh, what needs to be done? And so this could be a play on that. Who I am, Omer Ken. Makom Sheni Oheb, Sham Raglai Molichot Oti. 
אם תבוא אל ביתי, אני אבוא אל ביתך, אם אתה לא תבוא אל ביתי, אני לא אבוא אל ביתך. שנאמר, בכל המקום אשר אזכיר את שמי, אבוא אליך וברכתיך. So Hillel also used to say that to a place where I, that I love to be, my legs take me there automatically, right? I just gravitate towards uh, holiness, and so, you know, it's like uh, uh, destined that of course I'm going to be here, where else would I be? My legs just bring me here. And furthermore, and this is for sure quoting Hashem, saying, Hashem says, if you come to my house, if you come to the Bet HaMikdash and enjoy and celebrate, I will also come to your house. Hashem will visit a person's individual house and bring him blessing there. If you don't come to my house and you don't care about the, all the service and the celebration here, then why should I come visit you? You didn't come visit me. And how do we learn this? From the Pasuk that says, in any place that I mention my name, I will come and bless you. Now in the Peshat, this is talking about when you had a Mishkan and it moves around. So any place that you set up the Mishkan and you call upon Hashem, Hashem will be there. It might be in Shiloh one day, it might be somewhere else. Um, but I think that later on, when it becomes only in Jerusalem, one set place, so then what does this mean, any place? So any place means, any place being even your house, right? As long as you come and mention my name in my house, I will come to your house and give you blessing. That's a nice way of giving a parallel between the Bet HaMikdash and one's, the holiness of one's own home. There's a famous quote from Pirkei Avot that Hillel also said the following. One time he was passing by the water and he saw a skull floating in the water. And he said, talking to the skull, Amar la, al de'ateft atfuch u'metifayich yitufun. So the root is drowning, but in all different, this is, you, you could do a whole grammar lesson on the different forms of the verb here. So because uh, you drowned others, he's, he know, maybe he knew the guy, there's some kind of thug, some uh, mafia boss. I know you were a murderer, used to go drown people. So you got what was coming to you and you, you were drowned in turn. And those people who drowned you, that maybe the other mafia family, they'll also be drowned. What comes, goes around, come, comes around, goes, goes around, comes around, right? You get what you deserve. And... <laughs> right, right, exactly. Amida keneged mida. So, Amar Rabbi Yochanan, Raglohi debar inish, inun arbin be, leatar deemit ba'e taman, mobilin yate. This is similar to the previous statement that Hillel said, my, my legs bring me here automatically. Rabbi Yochanan says, the feet of a person are arevin, they're responsible for him, and to the place where he is needed, they take him. Sometimes even uh, it's like fated that you're going to be here, so your legs have a mind of their own, and you end up being, uh, being there, uh, whether you like it or not. And the next story is going to be an actual application of this, of someone who's trying to get away from uh, his fated death and ends up in the, in the place anyway, where they are killed. So here's the story. So there were two, two kushim that served before Shilomo. And so they were with him in the palace. Um, Rashi says this is a way of saying these were two very good looking people. So they were the scribes of Shilomo. That was their job. Now, one day, King Shilomo saw the angel of death and he was sad. I don't know if it's ever a good, a good idea to start a conversation with the angel of death, right? I don't want to know. But he says, so angel of death, why are you sad? 
because I have a, a script that I have to come and, and arrest and take the two the two kushites that are that are working for you and I'm having a hard time uh, uh, getting them I'm trying to catch them I can't catch them and so that's why I'm sad I can't do my job uh, it's time for them to die so Shalomo said oh interesting okay then Shalomo goes he wants to save the lives save their lives so Shalomo he knew how to control the demons Strangely, Shalomo knows how to control demons, but the angel of death, that's it doesn't. So anyway, he gets he gets these demons who says, listen, take these two kushim and you got to hide them away. Malach HaMavit is after them. Send them to the village of Luz. You know what you call people that come from Luz, right? Losers. Okay, Luz uh, has, uh, was, was known to be a city of refuge that, uh, you know, if you go there, you're safe. So he said, okay, I'll send them there and they'll be safe. The second they get to the city, they died immediately when they entered the city. The next day, King Shalomo sees the angel of death and he's smiling and laughing. Why are you laughing? He says, I got you. In the place where I, I had to arrest them, that's where you sent them. Right? It was all a setup. I was making believe I was sad. So then I, you know, I set you up to say, I'm going to save them. I knew you would send them to lose. And that's where I needed them to be. I wasn't, I didn't have the power to kill them until they got to lose. So actually you helped me. Right, so the, he quoted what we said above, what, in the name of Rabbi Yochanan, that the legs of a person are his, uh, are, are, are responsible for him, and he's going to end up in the place that they lead him, whether, leads him, whether they like, he likes it or not. Okay, this is a typical story about fate, you know, like in, in uh, lots of legends and stories, um, someone says, you know, this is going to be your fate, and you try to get out of it, and whatever you do, that actually ends up leading you to the very um, destiny that he was trying to avoid. Okay, Tanya, Amiru Alav Araban Shimon Ben Gamliel. Okay, so that we that was a tangent. We were talking about some of the lyrics that the rabbi said, and then uh, we went off to different things that um, uh, the Hillel said. But now we're coming back. As I said regarding Rabban Shimon ben Gamliel, he was able to take eight torches, throw one up and catch another one, and no two ever touched each other. In other words, he's juggling eight torches of fire. He also did this gymnastic feat that he was able to um, uh, prostrate himself, lie all, go from standing all the way to lying down um, only with his gudalav. I think that means his toes. Uh, it could mean thumbs also. I'll, I'll explain both ways. If it means his toes, like just his toes are, he stuck them in the ground and he was able to stick them so strongly and his ankles were very strong, he was able to um, go all the way down and kiss the ground and come up without using any other part of his body. And no one else could do that. This is, by the way, Kida, when the Kohen Gadol had to, had to prostrate yeah. himself, he knew, he knew how to do this and no one else knew how to do it. This was like a special technique and, but he performed this 
for Simchat Bet Hashoeva. Um, Lehavdil, Elif Alfei Alif Dalot, Michael Jackson had a, had a famous move when the dancers, they all, they, they, uh, they sway very low, like against the laws of gravity. You can't possibly uh, um, uh, uh, balance yourself in that, that way. So later on, they found that his trick that he had a clip on the bottom of his, of his shoe that clipped into the stage. And so it held his foot in, in, in place and then he was able to lean all the way. He didn't go all the way down, but he had one of, maybe you had one of the secrets of Kida. Okay, again, they have deal. <laughs> right, he did, exactly. Um, so that's, um, that's another a trick he did. Another interpretation is that he used his thumbs. It was like push-ups just with your thumbs, which would sound a little bit easier. Um, good. Levi achvi kida la. One time, the Amora named Levi, he demonstrated how to do kida in front of Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi, and he became lame. He pulled something in his ankle, and he could never walk again. So this is really dangerous. Don't try this at home. Hold on. Is that why he became lame? We have another story that also about how he became lame. So he couldn't have become lame twice. And the answer is, Okay, so we have a statement that you should never throw things up to heaven, meaning insults. You shouldn't say, you shouldn't complain to heaven and say, no, Hashem, you're not just, and, uh, and uh, say uh, you're unfair. It's not, don't say insulting things uh, towards God. And, and one great sage once did that, and as a punishment, he became lame. And who was that? Levi. One time there was no rain, and he said, Hashem, you're unfair, how could you do this? And he was punished. So now we have two different stories. So how did he become lame? Because he tried the kidah, or because he said disrespectful things in his prayer? So the answer is both caused it. Uh, you know, at first he did, he did uh, this improper prayer, and he deserved... Uh, some punishment, and then he put himself into a dangerous situation, and that was the straw that broke the camel's back. One without the other, he wouldn't have, but both together. That's <laughs> now back to the acrobatics. Levi would um, uh, would dem- would walk in front of the Biudanasi, so another thing before the Biudanasi, and he would be juggling eight knives. Um, good. Now, the Biudanasi is living already after the Betamitash is destroyed. So we're not talking about Simchat Betashoeva. This is just, uh, maybe it was on Sukkot, just for fun, or whatever reason. Some people give an uh, allegorical explanation. Biudanasi, he had to deal with the Roman government and the people and the judges and the, and the taxes. So it's like sometimes it feels like juggling knives to be in a, in a place of leadership. You got to juggle all the different interests. The V was doing it in front of the B, like to console him, like, you know, this is what you have to do. Shemuel would juggle in front of King Shapur with eight wine glasses, I guess full of wine. So King Shapur was the, um, the, was the king of the Persian Sassanid Empire, very, very important and powerful person. And uh, he was known to be tolerant. And, you know, in the, in the Persian Empire, all religions and people were welcome to do their thing. And he had a close relationship with Shemuel. There's lots of stories about that. King Shapur tells Shemuel, I hear that uh, you Jews are so smart. Tell me what I'm going to dream about tonight. 
it's in Berachot, right? And he says, oh, you're going to dream that the Romans are going to, that, you, that the Romans are going to catch you and chain you in golden chains and you're going to be digging the earth. And so he's so bothered by that all day because that was his enemy, Rome. And so he's thinking about it all day. And sure enough, he dreams about it at night. But that's because he was thinking about it all day. So anyway, Shemuel was smart. He knew how to um, convince, convince Shapur that he was so smart. Um, good. So that's another thing he did before in front of the king. Again, not related to Simhat Beta This is just for a foreign king. But since we're mentioning um, acrobatic tricks, uh, we can mention, uh, you know, Rabbi Sammy doing the, the yes, cigarette right. trick, right? Abaye would juggle eight eggs in front of Rava. Others say, no, it wasn't eight, it was only four. <laughs> okay, I like that line, like, oh, come on, don't exaggerate, he wasn't, he wasn't doing eight. Uh, right? Then they weren't able to do, okay, I think I could do one. Tanya. <laughs> Uh, so he says, says we, we never slept for seven days because we're busy all night and we were celebrating all day, or, or, celebrating all night and we're busy with other things all day. Here was our schedule. In the morning, you have to take care of the Tamid. He was a Levi, so he was singing, he was uh, uh, playing instruments. Misham la tefilah. Then we have to go pray. They even had that prayer, right? The uh, Mishnah and Tamid says they said I said tadiberot. This is all the things that they said. Um, they not amida because they had korbanot, but they said other things. Misham le korban musaf. Then do musaf. Misham le tefilat musafin. And then they say the prayers that relate to the musaf. Misham the beta midrash. Then we have to go study in the beta midrash. Misham la chilav b'shtiyah. Then we go for lunch. Misham letfilat mincha, come back from mincha. Misham letamid shel ha'arbaim, right? In the afternoon, a daily sacrifice. Mikan ve'elach b'smat b'toshoeva. By that time, it's late afternoon, and we start with the celebration, and we do that all night. Good. Ini, hold on, we have a contradiction. Ve'amar b'yochanan sheboah shelo ishan shelo shayamim malkin oto ve'yashen le'altar. If someone would make a swear and say, "I swear, I'm not going to sleep for the next three days." That's impossible, right? No one can possibly do that. I mean, you know, they use this for torture to, to get people to talk, uh, right? Your body automatically will fall asleep. You could ask doctors that try to do this. Um, so it's a false oath. So even the second, the second I make the oath, we already whip you for making a false oath because we know when I'm going to wait three days, we know there's no way you're going to fulfill it. And you may as well go to sleep right now because you already broke the oath, right? It's already, you, you know you're going to break it. So you may as well do it from now. And so therefore, this is the question is, how could you say you stay, you never slept? You stayed up for seven days and seven nights. You can't even sleep for three days. Okay, the first truth is that they didn't do all the celebration on Shabbat and Yom Tov. Nevertheless, there's, uh, going to be three days in there, so uh, we, we don't believe you. Um, the answer is we didn't have a taste of total sleep, right? But we did take those and take quick naps on each other's shoulders. Uh, during the dancing, we would just rest for a little, but we never had a full sleep. We didn't go to bed. That's what I meant. But yeah, we took a little naps. Now, next, there were 15 stairs in uh, going from the courtyard out down 15 stairs till you get to Zrat Nashim and so where, 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 the, where the partying was. And so the Kohanim would start on top, they would blow the Hasosrat and then they would uh, go down 
incest, and then to the 10th stair and blow again. And when they got to the floor, they would blow again and they would continue blowing the whole way. So a question. So, okay, the Mishnah mentioned the 15 steps, right? And we associated that with the 15 Shira Ma'alots in Tehillim, right? So there's one for each. Um, but now forget that a second. Now this is an independent story. Rav Chista uh, spoke to the sage who was an expert in Agadah. Some rabbis were experts in Agadah. They would tell, make derashot, and others were experts in Halakha. And the ones that knew Agadah, they, because they were experts, Rav Chista said, you have to remind me of the Agadah. I once heard, but I forgot what it is. Um, um, and uh, the, the question is, the 15 Shira Ma'alot in Tehillim, what, would, what do they correspond to? Why are there 15 Shira Ma'alot? Okay, he doesn't answer that. It's the 15 steps. This is a to- totally separate Agadah. When David was uh, digging drain pipes under the Mizbeach for Simhat Betashot, maybe remember there was an opinion that said they were th- those uh, vats underneath were there from the time of creation. Another opinion says, no, they were dug. Yeah. So this, huh? To home, right. So this says David was digging them. He wasn't able to build the Bet HaMikdash, but he prepared as much as he could. And when he did that, um, he unplugged something that shouldn't have been unplugged. And the, the deep waters from before creation that Hashem separated the waters above and below and said, okay, you stay here. They wanted to come up and flood the whole world. Um, okay, this is related to a lot of, uh, some, like in, in the Mabul, right? The, the waters un- underneath come up. Other Midrashim that talk about how the waters below, they want to keep coming up. They feel they still have a grudge that they were put down there. Um, this idea of uh, people live through floods all the time. I mean, we, we had one uh, right here a few years ago that uh, the waters are dangerous and they're always trying to, trying to come up. Okay, so this is like um, a story when David unplugged this, uh, this thing and now this was very bad. So David prayed these 15 shira ma'alots and then the water went receded. So now question, on that, Ravchista tells this master of Agadah, you're such a master of Agadah, this doesn't make any sense. He should have said, You're making the water go up. And there's something missing in your story. He says, says, But thank you for reminding me of the story. Now I remember the rest of it, right? And so now he's going to fill in the full uh, extent of the story. Amarle, it's not really clear who says to whom. Maybe the Paul Agadah says, oh, you're right, it's a good question. I remember the rest of it. Okay, whoever said it, uh, this is what it means. This is what Rechanan, when he quoted it, meant to say. When David was, was uh, digging out the drain pipes, so then the deep waters want threatened to flood the whole world. David says the only way I'm going to get them down is to write Hashem's name on a, uh, on a piece of earthenware and throw it in and the earthenware is heavy, it'll go down and that will, that will calm the water. We need a miracle and we need Hashem's name written on this in order to make that happen. Uh, the problem is that if you write Hashem's name in ink on an earthenware shard and put it in the water, it's gonna be erased. 
And so I'm setting, I'm setting it up that it will be erased. So am I allowed to write it in the first place? Um, but that's the, that's the only solution he knows. So David asked the rabbis there and nobody had an answer for him. Anyone who has an answer doesn't tell me I'm gonna, he's going to be strangled. Okay, so now all of his advisors are bifledged. Thinking quick on his feet, said Kavachomer, for the case in the case of Sota, uh, when the man suspects the woman, suspects his wife. And he's not sure. So Hashem said, write down Parashat Sota and erase it into ink and it includes Hashem's name. So Hashem said, I don't mind. You can, I forego my honor. You can erase my name in order to bring peace between a husband and wife. So if that's just for one family, all the more so to save the whole world. And so therefore, Achitofel says, it is permitted. Good. David was convinced and he did. He wrote Hashem's name. He threw it into the water. And it worked so well that it went all the way down 16,000 amot. You have to be careful what you wish for. So now he said, this is not good. They went down, they went down so much that um, nothing, the, the soil is not going to be fertile. You need that underground water, the aquifers, uh, in order to keep the roots of the trees um, uh, moist. So that went on too far. Now we're going to die of thirst. So he said the 15, each one was 1,000, and it was 16,000 low. So now 15,000 higher. Now it's only 1,000 below the level of the earth. Good. So he says, oh, we learned from there, from here, that the thickness of the earth is 1,000 amot. There's a layer of earth, and then there's water underneath. Um, I don't know how they thought of it, you know, what, what it's standing on, the floating, whatever. But they, they knew that there's water under, under the ground because they, you dig wells and there's water down there. Hold on, a thousand amot? 1,500 feet down, we dig wells, and you know, we go 100 feet, and we find water. You don't have to go that far. No, this, that is because you're digging near the Euphrates River, and that is high, um, and it, so it lifts up the waters that are under, even under the ground that are in that area. And so that's why, but generally, it's 1,000 amot deep. Okay, great story. And now we get back to the Mishnah. The two Kohanim with the trumpets, they would stand at the upper gate, that Sha'a Nikanor, and then they would, right, they would blow and then they would go down uh, to the 10th step. So question 10th, what do you mean by 10th? So does this mean that um, he would go down five stairs and he's on the 10th stair from the bottom and they would blow? Or he went down 10 stairs and so he was five from the, from the bottom and that's when they would blow? Take oh, we're not sure what this means. Right, he stopped somewhere in the middle. Okay, the next part of it is that now they're walking out this whole procession of the Kohanim and everybody. They're going out 
the gate to the east, right? So their backs are towards the Hechal, and they're going to go all the way out to, to the river. They're going to get the water, and then they're going to march back. But at that point, it looks like they're uh, disrespecting the Hechal, right? Because they're their backs are towards the Echal, they're leaving. And so it looks like they're worshiping the sun. And that's why the Mishnah says that they quote Yechezkel saying, oh, our, four, our forefathers, they worshiped the sun to the east and they had their backs. We're not doing that, right? We, we, turn, to, we turn to Hashem and uh, this is, we're just, you know, we're going out to do this, but we'll be right back. Good. So now, and they quote um, the Pasuk. No, to not banan. How come in the Pasuk in Yechizkel, it says a double language, their faces are to the east and their back was to Echal. If I know, uh, one, uh, tell me one and I know the other. It means they did an extra uh, disgusting thing that they would expose their backsides and defecate towards the Hechal. In other words, it's not bad enough that you're worshiping the sun and doing Avodah Zarah. You're also adding extra insult uh, to, to the sin by uh, desecrating the Hechal. Okay, and so then they stop there and they say, no, our, but, uh, our forefathers worshipped idolatry, but to us, we, our, we are for Hashem and to Hashem is our eyes. We look towards you. Now, the question is about this double language. Um, there's a Mishnah, right? That says, someone who says, modim, modim, we, Chazana uh, says that, we open the trap door, we get rid of that guy. Why? Because he shows he's a dualist. He, he's thanking the God of the good and the God of the bad. And we don't believe that. And there were many dualists back then. And they, you know, they would make themselves chazan and they would make believe like they're stuttering. And so, but they weren't. So, and same thing with Shema. You can't say Shema twice. If you notice anytime, like in Selichot or on Yom Kippur, when we say Hashem, you know, Hashem Melech, we say that twice. But Shema, we only say once. Right? You're not allowed to say it twice because it sounds like you're um, referring to two different deities. This is the same thing. You're saying, Anu, Leya, Ulya, Anenu. What? Two, two different, right? Why? You, how, how come that's allowed? No, what they meant, they, they, they're, the, the two are in different contexts. So they, first they're saying, We, to God, we uh, bow. And also our eyes uh, turn towards you. So they're two different contexts. Since they're two different things, it's okay. They're not, uh, not repeating the same exact words. They're two ideas that are uh, meant consecutively. So therefore, that's permitted. And we do it seven times. That is, I guess that is really more a statement of, of absolute monotheism. He is the only God, so maybe it's harder to uh, uh, mistake that for a sense of dualism. Yeah, Mark, you have a question? Yeah, the previous paragraph about like turning your back toward the Pechel, like, who is it talking about? Is that talking about the people that are getting the water? Or is that the people in the past? Who is that referring the people to? in the past during the time of Yechezkel. Yes, Yechezkel says, I, I was transported to Jerusalem and I saw 25 men that were, had their backs on purpose, on purpose right? They, they were purposely disrespecting and they were worshiping the sun. Just by the way, it explains the whole architecture of the Bet, of the Bet HaMikdash that it purposely faces west. 
I mean, right, when we go to the Kotel, we, we're facing east because we're on the other side. So it happens, just happens to be we're facing east, but in that, in the Kotel, they'd be facing west for that very reason. But why would they need to, to go an extra step, even by turning their back to the Hechal? And they're making a point of saying, our forefathers used to worship the sun, but now we don't. We're just going to the to get the water and come back. So why would they do the extra step? It doesn't make sense. The extra step of what? They're, they're making a declaration that says it, it might look like, right? If someone just took a snapshot, it might look like they are worshiping the sun by going to these. They do it in the morning early, just when the sun rises. And it's not nice. Even today, when you leave a bed, Knesset, you're right, you, uh, you, you turn around, you walk out backwards um, and, uh, right, and uh, you want to have your face towards. So they don't want to be mistaken for uh, doing that. And so therefore they make this declaration. Okay, next Mishnah. And pochatin me'asrim v'achatikiot ba'mikdash ben mosifin al arba'im u'shmone. This talking about trumpets and trumpets were played every day. And uh, depending on what was happening, you never have, would have less than 21 blasts and never more than 48. Those are the extremes. Let's count them. On a regular weekday with no special holiday, they would blow the trumpets 21 times. There's always come in sets of threes because you always do tikiah, teruah, tikiah, right? You always have long, short, long, no matter what. So um, one set of blasts, which is three, would be in the morning when they open the gates. While they're doing the Korban Tamid, the Levim are singing, and there's three breaks in the song that they're singing, and there's trumpet playing each time. So that's another nine. In the afternoon, another nine. So that's 21. Musafin, that's 21. Good, that's the minimum. Musafin, Musafin, on Shabbat, or Rosh Chodesh. Whenever there's Musaf, you have another nine during the Korban, Korban Musaf. So on Shabbat, you'd have another uh, six because to, on the on, in, uh, incoming Shabbat, they would blow three times to say Shabbat is starting. Like today, the, you have the siren in, in Borough Park in Israel also. And we have uh, that the Gemara actually explain, in Shabbat explains that they were separated, not all at once. You have one say come in from the field. Now, second time, close your stores. Third time, get all the food for, uh, you know where it needs to be. Um, and then, and then again, three times that uh, Shabbat is over. Now, Erev Shabbat You have the most when it is Shabbat um, during the holiday. Now you have three to open the gates. And another three for the higher gate, another three for the lower gate. Each gate that they're passing through, they would do another, another one. So that's nine. When they go to the river and, and uh, draw the water, they uh, blow the trumpets. When they bring it back and pour it on the Mizbeach, they blow the trumpets. All the rest of them is what you would do on a regular Shabbat or Yom Tov, and that equals 48. Okay, great. Um, now we're going to uh, analyze this further, and this is going to be relevant for Rosh Hashanah also when we blow the Shofar, but we use the same system. Matnitin, the Lokeri Our Mishnah must not be 
follow, be uh, authored by the Biuda, the fourth generation, the Biuda Bar Eli. The Tanya, the Biuda Omer, Hapochet lo yivchot mesheba, lamoshif lo yosif al sheshesre. He says the minimum number of tikiot is seven, and the max is sixteen. So that's uh, that's much less than our Mishnah. So b'maykami palgez. So what's the essence of their controversy? The Biuda sabar tikiot teruat tikiot achati. Actually, they're not arguing. They just count in different systems. The Biuda considers that the tripartite, he calls that all one. He considers that to be one unit. And Rabbanan, they count that as three. And so if you, he's the Biuda who says seven times three is 21, and 16 times three is 48. So actually, they're they, in total agreement, just, what, just the way they count it. More than the way they count it, is it considered one integral unit, or is it three separate things that you happen to always have make a, make that kind of sandwich? Um, good. So that's now. What's the source for each side? So we're learning this from the paragraph about Chasoserot in Parashat Bahalotecha for different things. If you go to war, you do short ones. When the peace, you do long. When you're going to gather, when you're going to travel, when you're landing. So um, we're going to focus on three pesukim within there. I'll just read the pesukim first because we're going to keep quoting them. Utkatem tiroa. So you see, this is a confusing phrase. You should do this tikiya in a verb form. You should blow a tiroa. So even though it's the word is tiru, even though we're doing a tiroa short blasts, it still uses the verb litutkatem. So utkatem really has two meanings. It can mean a long blast. That's the specific meaning, or it can mean just to blow whatever you are blowing. So anyway, when you do the short ones, then then you should travel. So now, right, shenit. Uh, when you do a second one, second short short blows. And then the ones in the back, they will know, okay, it's time for them to start marching. And that's the, that's the summary of the blasts when you are moving. Now, next topic, when you're going to gather everybody together, then blow a tikiah and don't tariu, not a tiruah. Okay, so that's the that's the three pesukim that we're going to be analyzing. So here's the biyudas proof. Utkatem tiruah, uchtiv tiruah itkeu hakesad tikiah utruah achati. Since the Torah uses the verb utkatem to describe a tiruah, you see that they're all the same. They're overlapping words, right? And I could use one word tikiah to describe both types of sounds. And therefore, it's considered one, one unit. Exactly. But Abanan, or Abanan, what are you going to do with that pasuk? No, I learned from there the halacha that when it, whenever you're saying it to doing a tiru'ah, you have to sandwich it between a tikiah before and a tikiah after. And we see that from the order of the words. First is utkatem tiru'ah. That means blow a tikiah. And then the tiruah. See, for the banan, they think utkatem always means a long one. Utkatem, a long one, and then a short blast. And the next pasuk says, tiruah yitkau. That shows that every time you say to have a tiruah, you have to have a tikiah after. And this is the source of how halacha. We, we always do that. We always make it a sandwich. Um, good. So the Yehuda, you, you, you said they're all one. So, but you agree that we make a sandwich. How do you learn that? 
Oh, later on it says, uh, yeah, in, pas- in next pasuk six it says, "Utkatem teruah shenit." You should do this again. So, what do you mean? What's again? Yeah. Meaning you repeat whatever you did. Right? You have a you have a, a envelope formula. Tikiyah teruah tikiyah. But Rabbanan, okay, good. Rabbanan, my tamayu. Rabbanan successfully uh, rejected the biuda, but it was their source that you should count them as three. From the last pasuk, when you want to gather together for a big meeting, so you do tikiyah and not laved. If you think the word tikiyah, that one word means three, so then you're saying do tikiyah, that means three, but don't do tikiyah. But what do you, it's confusing. Hashem is saying, do half, but don't do the other half. If it's all integrated, how can I separate them? It's a good, good point. The says, that's just a signal. It's not a mitzvah, right? When you're talking about doing it with simhat peta or for a korban, or for roshana, that is a specific mitzvah. Then I have to follow the protocol of tikiyah, tiruah, tikiyah. That's all one. Here it's just saying, if you want to call people, you get someone's attention, so you whistle, right? It's not, it's not, a, it's not a technical halakha, and that's why, um, yes, it's okay to say, do only one without the other. Wouldn't you agree that this is a signal? Yeah, I say yes. It, is, it does work as a signal, but the Torah uh, says, turns it into a mitzvah. When you're going to make a signal, don't, don't just make up your own system. Do it this way, and therefore you have to do it in an official way. Keman azla, uh, except that in that case you don't do the you don't do the the uh, teruah, um, but still you have to do it as, as a mitzvah formula. Since it's a mitzvah formula, therefore I can't agree with you that you'd only do half. I, it must be that each one is separate, and that's why it makes sense for Torah say to, to say do tikiyah when you're gathering people and not teruah, because I can separate them even in the context of a, of a mitzvah. Good now. Keman Azla Hadamar Rav Kahana. Rav Kahana said the following statement. We want to know where, uh, who, who, would, who would he follow, Rabbi Uda or Rabbanan. He said, En ben kulum. You should not have any break of, of time between tikiyah and tiruah. You should go right, tikiyah, tiruah, tiruah, in one breath, right? All, all right together. Some of you shouldn't even say it should be one breath. Some say, okay, you can take a little breath in between. But the point is, don't, don't wait an, uh, any time between them. Keman that must follow the biuda. He says that they're all one unit, so that's why you have to blow them all together in one breath. Because if you follow the banan, oh, they're separate things. So then, right, you can separate them. Um, so we agree with that, except we say peshita. If you're following the biuda, why would I have to say it? If you have, I'm going to follow the biuda and they're one, of course you have to blow them in one breath, and you can't stop in between. So why would can I even think uh, bother to say the statement? No, he had to say, because I might have thought that if I follow Rabbanan, it could even be according to Rabbanan. And it's to exclude what Biochanan said. Biochanan said, if you hear nine blows during the day, one every hour, that's all you need, right? That's okay. You can separate an hour between each one. Tikiyah, an hour later do teruah, an hour later do, do tikiyah, and you hear nine blows during the day. Um, he says nine because that's the minimum that you would need. One, you know, one for each of the three sections of uh, Musaf. Um, so, and that would be okay. Kamash malan. So that's why Ravkana, you might have thought Ravkana is coming to say, no, I don't follow the Biochanan. You can't wait an hour. 
But maybe you would think that you can wait a few seconds in between. And that's why he says, no, even according to the banan, you should say them uh, all together. Um, okay, now we ask, wait a second, maybe that is indeed the case. Maybe Ravkana really is following the banan. And uh, he, he meant to say, you can't separate by them an hour, but you can have a few seconds in between. How do you know he's really following the biuda all along? Imken, my velo kelum, his statement said, there should be no time between them, not at all. Velo kelum sounds like not even a second. Therefore, he's not following Rabbanan and telling you, don't wait an hour, but it's okay, a few seconds. He's saying, not, not at all, zero. That means he's following Rabbi Yehuda. Um, okay, halakha is uh, in the end like, uh, like Rabbanan. Um, nevertheless, we do have a halakha that's similar to this, which is a shivarim teruah, in the middle one. Wait, so let me uh, uh, explain why we do that. I'll take this one minute. That really, um, the, 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 the letter of the law, you just have to do nine blasts. Tikiyah teruah teruah, tikiyah for malchayot, zikronot, shofarot. So that'll be nine altogether. The thing is, what exactly is a teruah? Does a teruah sound like short, um, short weeping or like a little bit longer or a combination of the two? Since there's three different possibilities, so we do all three. So that means for malchayot, we do all three. For zikronot, shofarot, we do all three. And we, we count the shivarim teruah as two. So therefore, that in the way is four. That line is four. So that gives you 30 um, during one amidah. That's how we end up with 30 during an amidah. And now we do more because at least Syrians have a custom to blow in Nahash and in Hazara. And we don't want to wait that long to do all them because people are talking in the middle and whatever. So we do Miyoshev, right? When you say the Beracha, we do a whole, a whole 30. So you end up having 30, 30, 30 is 90. And then we add 10 more at the end for 100. And to the you get 101. But those are all added later based on other symbolisms and Kabbalah in the Spanish Portuguese synagogue and other places. They don't blow during the Lachash. So they're missing 30. Um, and uh, my, when I was living there, my kids got this wrong on their test in, uh, in Barkaitas. How many blows? They said, right? <laughs> they, they said less. And uh, that's in fact what they do. But anyway, that's the background. But the key thing is to have always long, short, and long. Um, Rabbi Soloveitchik explained the symbolism as the short is cries and mourning and sadness. But you should never have only pure uh, sadness. You should always have some confidence and you come in and sandwich it with optimism and good feelings and not focus only on negative feelings. And that's uh, at least part of the symbolism that's in encoded in the sounds of the, of the shofar and also of the trumpets. Amen.